and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 46. Uh, if you didn't get a chance last week to catch our churchwide town hall, that was after the 11 o'clock service last week. That is on our website if you want to go check it out. Um, just a good kind of looking at where we're going as a church together and looking forward to the future. Uh, one thing that we was lifted up in that uh, town hall that I want to lift up here today is we're going to be doing an all-night prayer service. Uh, don't everyone jump up with excitement all at once. Uh, it'll be from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. on New Year's Eve, which is when we'll, we enter in from the UMC to the GMC, and we believe that that time should be covered in prayer. So uh, that'll be New Year's Eve day. Keep an eye out for more details on that in the, in the next coming days and weeks ahead. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Like I said, the pastor of discipleship and the main preacher of our contemporary service. It's good to be with you all here today. As we're kind of wrapping up our Roots sermon series, our Advent sermon series, where we've been kind of looking at the, the origin story of Jesus or the, the prequel story of Jesus, that when, when Jesus is born as a baby in Bethlehem, that doesn't just happen in a void. It happens uh, in the midst of a great story, that there's rich context in which Jesus' birth takes place. And throughout this series, we've been looking at that sort of context that Jesus is born into. We looked at how Jesus comes to us from a family. Then we looked at how Jesus comes to us from a people. Last week, we looked at how Jesus comes to us and is born into a specific place and time. And then this week, we're looking at Jesus is born within a story. Jesus is born within a story, and we're looking at specifically Mary's story as we read during our Advent reading, the story of Mary and how Mary's story interacts with the great story of God. So our scripture reading for today is going to be Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. Hear the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble servant, the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're looking at this sort of uh, Mary's song, or if you look at church tradition, what they've called it, the, the Magnificat, this, this exclamation of Mary's soul of praising and worshiping the Lord for all that he is doing in her life. And as we look at Mary's story, 
and we look at Mary's song, we can see this interaction between the great story of God that he is telling to redeem all of humanity back to himself and how Mary's life gets wrapped up in that great story of God. We see in this song that Mary's story becomes part of Jesus' story. Mary's story becomes part of Jesus' story. I want to look again at the first three verses of this passage. And notice the, the personal pronouns, how Mary takes the story of God and personalizes it in her own life. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That Mary recognizes that within the sort of redemptive arc of God bringing the whole world back to himself, that her life is caught up in this great story. That Mary's life has been fundamentally transformed because her life and the story of God have decided to divinely intersect by the providence of God. And when we look at this idea of Mary's story becoming a part of God's story, we see that that's sort of a common theme that's all throughout the pages of Scripture. You know, when you read history books and you read about these, these great men and women in history, oftentimes the people who are lifted up, especially in ancient history, tend to be people like Julius Caesar, the first emperor of Rome, or Caesar Augustus, or even going back to these earlier texts with Herodotus, and he lifts up these great Spartan kings, like at the Battle of Thermopylae, or these great uh, men and women who are just in places of immense power and authority, that those are the ones who are remembered. Those are the names that are written down in the history books, not these sort of no-name people from no-name villages. And yet, when you read the story of God and you read the interactions that the Lord has with these people, the Lord loves to lift up ordinary people all the time. The Lord doesn't pick up the, the great kings and queens and rulers of the world. The Lord looks at people like Mary, a virgin girl in a nowhere village, in a no-name town, and just known as Mary in a little village. And the Lord chooses someone like her to bear the Christ child, to be the mother of God. And it's in this story, it's in this story where we see God enfleshing himself with people all throughout the pages of Scripture. I mean, just think about some of the stories that we lift up. Even someone as mighty and as powerful as King David has that humble origin story of being a shepherd boy, not even worthy from his father to be presented before the great prophet to see if he might be a king, because of course the prophet's not going to pick David, the littlest and last of the bunch. 
And you just see that repeated all throughout the story of Scripture that God takes these normal, ordinary people and makes them a part of the grand story of God. And we see that here in Mary's story. And she recognizes her place in the redemptive arc of God's desire to redeem all of humanity to himself. And we see the character of God that is found throughout the pages of Scripture is Him not in this sort of disembodied, distant reality, but He comes and meets individuals, meets people right in the middle of their mess, meets people right in the middle of their fears and worries and doubts, and takes their lives and lifts them up to a better place than they were before. It's a story of God interacting with Mary's life. You know, we have this phrase in our culture that actions speak louder than words. And I think you can take that and see the actions of God in Scripture about how He comes to the lowly. He comes to people like Mary, and we see God moving in lives of people like Mary. We see God moving in our lives. And you think about the great men and women in the Christian faith even, Think about people like John Wesley, someone I love to lift up a lot, who was just a preacher's kid from a poor, no-name town in the middle of England, who got caught up in the story of God, whose life intersected with the great story of God to redeem all the world back to himself, and this spark of revival started because John Wesley let his life become intersected with the story of God. We think about the lives of these, maybe think about spiritual mothers and fathers in your life and how their lives became intersected with the great story of God and how their lives became transformed and how their lives were lifted up because God cared about them, because God cares about individuals, because God cares about our stories, because God cares about maybe the seemingly insignificant parts of our lives that we don't think anyone else cares about The Lord desires to come and enter into those places. The Lord desires to come and live among us. The Lord desires to come and dwell with us, as the Scripture says. And that includes the everyday insignificant parts of our lives. We see that in Mary's story. My Savior, my God, generations will call me blessed Not because of anything that I've done, but because of the grace of the Lord himself has come and met me and my story is now a part of God's story. As we look at this text, we can also see that God's story to save all the world becomes our story. God's story to save all the world becomes our story. When we think about the story of God or the the story of our faith, uh, in, in school, they taught me this, this idea called a, a meta-narrative. What's sort of the, the overarching story that we see in the pages of Scripture? Because we have a bunch of different books that are a collection of different authors across different centuries. And so what is the common story? What's this meta-narrative, this overarching arc, the great story of God that weaves all these different authors and centuries together? And we see that there's this common story that's all throughout the pages of Scripture that we say in the Christian faith is creation, fall, redemption, and glorification. We believe that God created everything and that it was good, and that it was blessed, and that it was perfect. 
and that God gave us choice to choose him or reject him, and we chose to reject him, and sin entered into the world, the fall of the created order, that everything is tainted by sin and everything is fallen in need of redemption. And then the rest of the scripture is talking about how God is trying to redeem the world back to himself and how he starts and does that through a man named Abraham. And he says, through you, it says in Genesis, that through you all the world will be blessed. That God takes this no-name person who, if it wasn't written in the pages of Scripture, wouldn't have even been written in any history book. But because of the story of God intersecting with Abraham's life, we see that through Abraham comes to us a child, the king, the one who is enthroned in heaven's glories, comes and dwells with us in our darkness. And God comes from heavenly places and comes to redeem us, comes to bring light and life to our death so that one day we can live forever with him in fullness of life. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. That's a story of the Christian faith that we see interwoven throughout the pages of Scripture. And you can look at your own life and see how our story aligns with that sort of overarching meta-narrative. Or maybe we feel like we're, we're stuck in this habitual sin that it just seems like we can never break out of, just like it seemed like Israel and their idolatry could never break out of it. Or maybe we're longing to be with the Lord, we're longing for that glorification, we're looking forward to Him coming back. Maybe we're in need of a reminder that the world is broken and fallen and we're in need of a Savior. You can see our lives and the story of God intersecting with this great story of God redeeming all of the world to himself. And we see that Mary tells bits and pieces of that story in the second half of her song. It says in verse 50, verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. You can just kind of picture Mary as she's singing this and extolling the greatness of God, just remembering all those Bible stories and veggie tales that she watched growing up, all those things that people told her about God. She's now realizing, yes, this stories that I heard about God, he has been wonderful to them, and he is wonderful to me as well. Verse 52, he has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary is extolling and telling the story of God telling the great story of what God has done for his people and what God is doing for all of humanity. 
It's this magnificent story that we tell oftentimes in our culture because it resonates deeply within our souls because it's the very story of God himself and God's great rescue plan to come and bring us all back into alignment with him. When I was in college, uh, there was a guest preacher who came and spoke and spoke at one of my classes. His name is Jerry Root. He's a professor of evangelism at Wheaton College. And he said this line, and I've always thought about it for the, in the years since. He says, if Hollywood hates us so much, then why do they keep telling our story? Why do they keep telling our story? And his point is that the reason Hollywood tells our story over and over again is because it resonates within our soul, because it's true, because it's a story of God. I'm going to spoil a movie for y'all to illustrate my point. It's Avengers Endgame. So if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, I'm sorry. It's been a while. I feel like the statute of limitations is up. <laughs> so uh, Avengers Endgame is sort of the climax of the Infinity Saga, and it's sort of a, the part two of a two-part movie. In the first movie, basically, you have the big bad evil guy, Thanos, who comes and, and snaps, and half the universe suddenly disappears and goes away. And Avengers Endgame is them trying to sort of recapture the Infinity Stones so that they can bring all those who were dead back to life. And at the climax of the movie, they're sort of fighting over the Infinity Gauntlet. They're fighting over these Infinity Stones to, to bring everyone back to life. If you remember Tony Stark, Iron Man, kind of the main protagonist throughout uh, the first Avengers saga in Marvel, that at the end of the movie, he, he captures the Infinity Gauntlet, he captures the Infinity Stones, and knowing that to bring everyone back to life, it would require his own life and to sacrifice himself. And he decides to do it anyways, and he snaps and he sacrifices his own life so that everyone else can have life. And as you're watching this in the theater, you're like, I'm not going to cry at a superhero movie. But you can't help but just feel overwhelmed with emotion. You can't help feeling at least a little bit choked up as you see this man that you've come to know and love willingly lay down his life so that everyone else can have life. Friends, doesn't that sound an awful lot like our story? Doesn't that sound an awful lot like the story that makes our hearts sing praises to God. It's because that's the story of Jesus. It's the story of God. It's the story of God's great redemption plan. And it resonates so deeply with us because it's true. Because it's God redeeming each and every single one of us. That's our story and that's what Mary sees and Mary can't help but exclaim the story of God. When we think about this idea of God being someone who likes to tell good stories, God who likes to write better stories for our lives, God who wrote a better story for Mary, do, friends, do you believe that God wants to write a better story for you? I think that's what we see in this passage. It's this idea that God wants to write a better story for your life. I was thinking about this text this week, and I was looking actually at the previous verses where I kind of saw this idea uh, Mary's song takes place after this instance, starting in Luke 1, 39. This is right after the angel has come and visited Mary and said that you will bear the Christ child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Mary is still a virgin and she has a child in her womb. And you can imagine uh, that story probably not being bought by a lot of people in her town. 
And in those day and age, the, the shame that that would bring being an unwed woman who's pregnant. And it says this in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. And just imagining the, the urgency in Mary's life that she's like, I gotta get out of here and I gotta go to someplace that's safe. So she goes and sees her cousin. She hurried to the country of Judea. And then when she entered into Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in the womb and, Mary, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And can you imagine Mary I don't know if she had any doubt. I don't know if she had any fear or trepidation. And suddenly, Elizabeth gives her this prophetic word from the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you, Mary. Why? Because you believe the promises of God in your life. Because you believe that God has a better story written for you. Because you believe that God has something greater for you and you just accepted it. Blessed are you, Mary. You know, it makes Mary different from most of the characters in Scripture. Most people uh, get to believing the promises of God kicking and screaming. Uh, And even then, there are like a lot of fear and trepidation before they get to the place of acceptance with the promises of God. Mary's different in that the Lord gives her this word, she has like a question, and then she's like, I'm good. I trust that the Lord will do this. That Mary believed the promises of God in her life. Do you believe the promises of God for your life? Do you believe, like Mary, that God even has promises for you? Do you believe that God is writing a better story for you, that he has desires for a better story for you, because his great story to redeem all the world back to himself, he wants your life to be written into that story? Do you believe that God has good things in store for you? As I was writing the sermon this week, I felt the Spirit prompt me to ask this question. Who is writing your story? Who is writing your story? Is it yourself? That I am the only one who can write a good story for me. I'm the one who knows what's best for my life. That I need to uh, grab a hold of the pen of the story of my life and I need to not let go because if I don't, the story won't end the way that I want it. Or will you choose to be like Mary and humble yourself before God and let him write a better story for your life? Because we all want the best story for our life, don't we? And so does God. And yet how often are we unwilling to hand the pen over to the Lord and trust him and humble ourselves before him? I think the first step to letting God write a better story for our lives is humility. Humility to say that, Lord, you are God and I am not. Lord, you know things better than I do. Lord, you are wiser than I am. You are God, I am not. That's the story of Mary. 
Mary, the humble one who just accepts the promises of God and says, Lord, I trust you. That's the story of Scripture, is the Lord not coming to the proud and the arrogant and the boastful, but to the humble, to the ones who are willing to accept the promises of God in their life. That's the story of all the heroes of our faith. It's the story of humility and placing themselves in a posture of acceptance before the Lord God Almighty. Friends, who is writing your story and will you let God write a better story for you. I want to close with a story from a a book that I got in seminary. It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. Donald Miller, you may remember, he wrote a book that was popular a while ago called Blue Like Jazz. He wrote a second book called uh, the book that I just mentioned. And the, the overarching theme of the book is, he says, how to write a better story for your life. And it's sort of reflections about his journey with God and journey with the Lord and how he's sort of thought of discipleship as God writing a story for his life because he's a novelist and that's how he frames it. And there's this chapter in the book where he says, listen to your writer. Listen to your writer. And he describes God as the great author of his life and he says this, I believe that there is a writer outside of ourselves plotting a better story for us, interacting with us, even whispering a better story into our lives. At first, even though I could feel God writing something different for my life, I would play the scene the way that I wanted it to get played out. But that never worked. It was always better to obey the writer, the one who knows the better story. He talks about how he started to lean into that idea of of implicitly trusting the Lord and implicitly follow where he feels like he's calling. And he talked about how that became kind of easy because the writer never really called him to do anything difficult. Until one day, he was driving down the road listening to the radio, and the radio was telling the story of a man who had been estranged from his father for about 20 years and the story of him reuniting with his dad. And earlier in the book, Donald Miller talked about how when he was a child, his father abandoned his mom and him and walked out on them. As he was listening to the radio, he says this, Suddenly, it was as if the writer was pounding on the keyboard. He broke the pencil on the paper. He was so emphatic that I had to pull the truck over. The writer told me to find my father and sit across from him and tell him that I forgive him. He writes how he had this sort of wrestling match with God. He said, I told God no again. But he came back to me and he asked, if I really believe that he could write a better story for my life, and if I did, then why didn't I trust him? Friends, as we think about our Christian life, as we think about walking with God, as we just think about our life, the short time span that we have here on this earth, are we going to try to hold the pen in our hands so tightly that there's no space for God to do magnificent and wonderful and beautiful things in our life? Or will we be willing to let go and say, Lord, I trust you to do a better thing in my life. I trust you to write better stories because you are so creative and you are so good and magnificent that you will always write a better story for me. That's Mary's story. I think that can be our story as well. 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We've been doing this for the past few weeks, uh, giving sort of words of prophecy, which is just Jesus talking to us. Um, before we do that, I felt the Lord say to me to say this, that um, we need to be a people where our desire to see God move needs to be greater than our fear of what others think about us. So some of the words that our prayer team uh, felt like they heard from the Lord this week is that there's some families who are struggling with their marriages, uh, sort of feeling like the wheels are falling off. This could possibly be connected to finances. It could not. If they feel like that's you and your spouse, I would encourage you to get prayer from our prayer teams or see one of us after the service. We also felt like that there are two mothers who are concerned over their child's faith. One is worried and desperate, and the word from the Lord that he wants you to hear is this from James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given for you. And the emphasis from the Lord in that passage is that the Lord doesn't find fault with you, but he wants to meet you right where we are. And so as our communion stewards come forward, uh, we remember the great story of God. We remember the great story of Jesus that on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father, said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and juice, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until we feast, Father, at your heavenly banquet. Lord, come and write better stories in our lives. Lord, come and be the great author in our life. Lord, let our lives get wrapped up in the great story of God, because there's nothing greater and nothing sweeter. Lord, we trust you as we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 